Hello and you're very welcome to Maritime Ireland, the only podcast and radio programme reporting on this island nation's marine sector. Tom McSweeney here. Thank you for joining me for the next half hour for our monthly enjoyable and pleasant voyage through Ireland's maritime development, culture, history and tradition. My first interview this month is with Pamela Lee from Greystones in County Wicklow, who is building an international career in the world of offshore sailing. To do that, she gave up a career in the communications industry and moved to France, where the biggest ferry company is sponsoring her to race at the end of this month, from France to Martinique in the Transat Jacques Varbe, one of the most prestigious races in the international sailing calendar since 1993. The course follows on the wake and the route of the great big canvas sailing clippers which transported coffee from Brazil to France. Brittany Ferries operating from Rosslare and Cork to France has put €40,000 sponsorship into Pamela's project, on which she's been working for two years. At the age of 34, she's already sailed across the Atlantic ten times and, amongst other achievements, holds the Round Ireland speed sailing record. I met her at Ringeskiddy Ferry Port in Cork Harbour, where Brittany Ferries had just announced a sponsorship. She'll race with French sailor Tiffan Raganou. Paola wants to get more women involved in sailing, and when, during our interview, I compared the strength of male and female sailors in offshore ocean racing, I learned that she doesn't think that relying on force in the male context to get a boat to do what you want is of great benefit. Women are just as equal as men, she told me. That's just one of the interesting aspects in this interview. We are setting out on the Transat Jacques Varbe, um, which is a double-handed transatlantic race that happens every two years um, from Le Havre to Martinique. Uh, the start is on the 29th of October. So we're getting very, very close. And it's a project I've been working on myself um, for for two years. Well, a dream, a dream in the making. Um, for two years um, since the last the last edition of the race in which I was at, at Lahar watching the start and I said I, w- I want to be on the next start line um, so for me it's been um, it's been a long term project but um, it's only in the last uh, dare I say uh, weeks uh, if not days that we've actually um, consolidated um, our new sponsors um, partners for the project uh, which is Brittany Ferries and DFDS um, and that's really, really fantastic and very exciting. And that's where I've been today, um, launching that. And um, it means that in these final stages of, of getting ready for this uh, big <laughs> challenge of a race, we have um, a really nice partnership starting off to support us to get there, to communicate our story and to, um, yeah, tell the story of uh, females in sport, females in offshore racing, and also the kind of growing connections between Ireland and France, which is... If you don't mind me saying so, because you've used the word big there, (laughs) I've heard you described as diminutive uh, and not exactly built to be an offshore sailor, physically. Women. Females. Well, and Uh, yourself. And myself. I've been described like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well... I mean, you, I think you can talk to a lot of uh, offshore sailors and particularly short-handed sailors. And one of the magnificent things about offshore sailing is that it is a mechanical sport. 
um, and it is an intellectual sport. Um, so actually, more than using your physical uh, abilities and powers, you you really you can use your head and the machine at your fingertips to to make it work for you. At the end of the day, if you're relying on brute force to get a boat to do what you want, then you're not really doing it right. If you're thinking about what you're doing, uh, you understand what you're doing and you understand how to use your boat and your sails correctly, you can manoeuvre things to make it work for you. Um, If you're battling brute force against a boat, you're not going to win at the end of the day. So it's really about thinking uh, cleverly, practising and training and figuring out how how you can kind of use the the machine and the wind and everything to work for you so that you don't have to rely on on physical strength. And I think that's why actually offshore sailing is a really incredible sport for females. That's a fascinating assessment, which I think a few people I know who use brute force could well learn. But that being said, you're from Greystones. You're now living in Lorient in France. Obviously, Ireland isn't a place where anybody, thinking of other people such as Tom Dolan, can develop their professional offshore sailing. The facilities don't exist, unfortunately. Yeah, well, it's at the end of the day, Ireland's, you know, we're a small country. <laughs> um, and um, there's a limited, you know, we were very successful in rugby. Uh, we're very successful in many sports, but we can't be huge and successful in every sport. Um, and that kind of comes down to it. Um, We do have a huge sailing culture and a huge sailing heritage in Ireland. So it is really a big part of, of, I think, being Irish and and that passion for the ocean and the offshore. And we think of the Round Ireland race and the Fastnet race and the the amazing Irish sailors and skippers who've done that. But that said, in France, um, there is the opportunity. The industry is much more developed and much more professional. And there it functions more as a professional sport like rugby or football or anything like that um, where there is yeah a professional sports industry around it and therefore yeah if you want to really progress and have the opportunity to race shorthanded and double-handed um, which again is is the thing within itself France at the moment is really the place to be. You've said it on the records quite a few around Ireland itself but people mightn't realise that you're not just a sailor you're qualified in communications even in journalism uh, you've put that aside to build a career. The career's going well now with this latest sponsorship by Brittany Ferries. Yeah, I mean, uh, no, I haven't been um, in pursuit of a career as a professional sailor my whole life. Um, and I guess that comes down to maybe not really realising that perhaps it was an option um, younger in life. And uh, that's something that I, I feel quite strongly about now. And that's one of the reasons why I tried to communicate uh, my story and my history and my, my adventure as much as possible, because there is a huge industry of offshore sailing and a huge maritime industry um, out there available um, for everyone, for females, for males, for Irish people. And it's a really interesting and exciting place to be. Um, so yeah, I started um, off in communications. I did an undergrad in um, Dublin City University and then I did a master's in London and I was off off on that career um, until I stumbled across offshore sailing when I was living in Sydney. And um, this little race called the Sydney to Hobart race um, kind of caught, caught my eye. <laughs> and that's how I started. Um, and then after a few Sydney Hobarts under my belt, um, I decided that I really wanted to pursue this uh, more full time and as a career. And one thing led to another and I've ended up in France pursuing that. 
But that said, and I, I think that Tom, if you were to talk to him, he'd say the same thing. Like this, the actual sailing is a really small part of what we do, particularly when you're starting a project and you're starting your career because there's there's a boat to manage, there's a whole project to manage. So, you know, when I actually get to go sailing, it's the big reward at the end. But really, um, you know, I'm a boat captain, I'm a project manager. Um, it's communications as well because we're working with partners and sponsorships and, and for them, uh, we are a communication tool and that's how it works. So that's a really important factor of it. And funnily enough, I guess those skills that I used earlier in life are probably now helping me in this career in a completely different, in a completely different way. And to be able to create uh, meaningful partnerships with companies like Brittany Ferries is is really important to me because as I think from my background in communications, the story behind why we're doing what we're doing and using sport as a communicator and as a tool to to tell stories and also to make positive change, to create role models and create inspiration and ideas for other young people, for other females and, and that it's a really um it's a really exciting um and important part of the sailing and something that I really enjoy as well. Offshore sailing, meaning effectively taking one out, out of sight of land, must also give you a great understanding of the oceans. And that's one of the points you make, the importance of understanding the oceans. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there's not many times in life that we really get to go out and be immersed 100% in nature, and in this case, the ocean. Um, I'm very, I feel very, very fortunate and I always try to remind myself when I'm out there, even if it's a bit cold, it's a bit wet, I'm a bit hungry and I haven't slept. <laughs> I try to remind myself that I'm really, really lucky to be out here in the ocean because not everyone gets to experience that, uh, especially nowadays with mobile phones and all of that, like to really get away and turn off. And yeah, and you get kind of this understanding, I guess, or appreciation of nature, the power of nature and that we're all surrounded by it. And I think in Ireland, we're so lucky we're on an island. We have the sea everywhere. But the more activities and sports and time that we can spend in and around and connected to the sea, uh, it's really, um, well, it really adds something to your life, I think. You convey a great, almost infectious <laughs> enthusiasm and determination. You're driven, obviously, by sailing. And your father taught you effectively sailing. And he was a self-taught sailor like many of us in the older brigade are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Again, um, you know, I found myself very, very lucky that I grew up um, always messing around in boats and just on the water. And it's very much through my dad, both my parents. My parents actually met sailing in the DMYC <laughs> many moons ago in the GP14. <laughs> um, dad still sails GP14s. Uh, I think he did the Worlds last year and he's still down there Wednesdays and Saturdays. It's really, really, really um, a passion for him. But yeah, he taught himself, you know, in a dinghy that he bought for one pound or whatever, which one shilling or whatever it was back in the day in sales made from sheets from the laundry. I don't know, you know, <laughs> but obviously it was something, <laughs> something close to his heart. And yeah, lucky enough, all our, all our summer holidays were spent somewhere in a camper van with toppers and an oppie and, you know, this kind of thing. So we've been messing around in and around the water all our lives and I'm um, very fortunate to have had, had that. You're conveying very much uh, a desire to see more females in sailing, but sailing to you is also a health project, wellness. So the encouragement is go sailing. 
Yeah, exactly that. And for me, is like sailing is is one of my avenues. But you know, I I love to surf. I love to kite surf. I love all of this. And it's 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 just go sailing, <laughs> get outdoors. Um, you know, how can you get involved in in water sports? And it is unfortunately, I do see there are more and more uh, girls and women involved in water sports. But for some reason, is still majority male, even in the kite surfing and the surfing. And I don't I don't really understand why because these sports are really uh, really great for females for so many so many reasons. There isn't physical restrictions, and it, they are sports um, that are very connected to nature, like sailing. So you really get a lot from them, and you can be competitive if you want, but you don't have to be competitive. So there's kind of something for everyone. Um, and yeah, I would just really like to encourage more women um, and girls to get involved and to try it out and see where it takes them, whether it's a hobby or whether it you know becomes a career down the line. Pamela Lee from Greystones, to whom, with her French co-skipper, we wish fair sailing and success, racing to Martinique from October 29. We head next to Turlock Park, which is about eight miles from Castle Bar in County Mayo, where the National Museum, through what can be described as its Irish Folklife Division operates the Country Life Museum. This collects and preserves material culture from Ireland's traditional way of life, of which the maritime sphere is, of course, a major part. It's a fascinating place where assistant keeper Noel Campbell is developing a boat gallery. So what we've planned is we're well into development of a gallery that's going to be displaying a selection of our boats from the Irish Folklife Collection um, and they will go on permanent display here. We have focused in on the traditional boats of the West Coast for this time and we will be covering our boat types from Donegal to Cork. And I suppose while the boats will be on display, it will be the stories of the people who fished from the boats, who made the boats, who gained a living from operating with the boats. We're getting in some great stories for the last number of years, I've been conducting my own field work up and down the coast, trying to get out to as many uh, coastal communities. You know, we felt it was very important that it's not going to be a story from the National Museum about how people lived. It's going to be from the communities themselves. And we're fortunate in that we have a great network of people who are very, very keen to share their stories and share the stories of their own local communities. And we're more than happy to take those stories and try and pass them on to a larger audience. That's a major task. You obviously have going to have a lot of space then to put boats on display. Well, hopefully we will be able to get um, eight boats on display. We have uh, we've, we've teamed up with a design company in London uh, called Metaphor, and we're we're well underway in trying to get as many boats as we can, I suppose, into this space. Now, I suppose we're we're traditional boats can't be displayed, and obviously we're not going to be able to display the larger. They will be represented in the gallery through associated objects, interviews, footage, audio, and basically the stories from the people of those areas. So, for instance, where you couldn't have an Akeliol on display, it'd probably take up half your gallery. We have uh, some great stories from uh, a family up there who actually still own one of the last traditional, we'd say, double-ended Akeliols, and uh, they very kindly donated a 100-year-old all sail to us as well. So we're constantly looking to strengthen the gallery, 
and include as many boat types as we can in it. Now, the majority of the boats on display uh, will be the lighter, smaller boats, carrots, I suppose, pumps as well from some of the boat yards as well. But, you know, as I say, we're, we're, we're looking for uh, we're looking for the human stories. We're, we're a folk-like museum, so really our interest is in the stories behind the boats and exactly what the boats represented and what they meant to communities. And some of these boats that you will be recording are probably not greatly in existence anymore? Oh, very true. And uh, A number of the currents we have in our collection, we've about 30 boats in the Irish Folklife collection. Now, the majority of those would be uh, at least half of those would be current. Some of them came in, uh, were acquired by the Nash Museum almost 100 years ago. And Tom, that would have been after, uh, you know, a life of fishing and serving the families that they were, that they were owned by. So, uh, you know, even to have uh, a curragh, we'd say, you know, organic material, the simple basket designed curragh of uh, leather skin and, and willow frame, you know, to, to, to even have those boats after nearly 100 years is, is it's quite extraordinary, and, and um, it's not the boats themselves, of course. We know who built them, and we know who fished with them, so even that is, uh, you know, it's exciting after all that time. It's an amazing collection, obviously, and most important, historic-wise, and to keep a marine awareness available. We're positioned here at the National Museum of Ireland Country Life. is positioned in Castlebar. Uh, it's uh, in Mayo, of course, a county with a great, uh, great coastline, great maritime history. But, you know... 20 minutes down the road from our museum, you could be in Newport or Westport and see these boats still being used. I mean, there's many, many, many currents still being used for, you know, lobster fishing or, or, or small inshore fishing as well. But a lot of these boats, well, some of them are gone, uh, you know, the, the work ethic or the work mentality of the, these boats, are, it's kind of gone. They're still uh, being used in, in, especially during the summer, as leisure craft and regattas. And, and even in our own county here, Mayo, there's several very good regatta that goes on. Uh, during the summer, but I'd be very keen as part of this exhibition to encourage people to then, after looking at our display and enjoying the museum, to travel to the coast and uh, see these boats actually in operation because it, we're lucky that they are still being used in in you know some shape or form. And I think uh, it, it's fantastic that people can just travel half an hour down the road and they can actually see those boats in action. Noel Campbell, assistant keeper at the National Museum of Country Life in Turlock Park, Castle Bar. What a great project, preserving the history and culture of traditional vessels in the boat gallery. Now with a roundup of Irish Maritime News, here's Anton O'Callaghan. Investigations continue into the seizing of the bulk carrier MV Matthew and the grounding of the trawler Castle Moor on the Blackwater Bank off Wexford. The bulker remains at the port of Cork Quayside at Marino Point in the harbour. An exemplary naval and military exercise with customs officers and Gardaí, but which does raise again the issue of sufficient personnel resources for the Navy to patrol and protect Irish waters. A number of new shipping services have been announced. Marking its 50th year operating from Cork, Brittany Ferries announced that its service to France will operate weekly from Ringeskiddy Ferry Port up to December and restart in February 2024. The rosslare Cherbourg route is to continue year-round. For the first time, an Irish port has been named European Ferry Port of the Year. Rosslare Europort 
was awarded the title at the 2023 European Ferry Shipping Summit in Malmö, Sweden. Fishing industry statistics published by the Sea Fisheries Protection Authority and the Central Statistics Office show the increasing extent of non-Irish fishing boat catches in Irish waters. 2,080 non-Irish vessels landed €153 million Euros worth of fish into Irish ports for export to their own countries last year. Spain, UK, Norway, France, Denmark and Belgium were the main countries involved, according to the annual report from the authority. CSO figures released confirmed that 41% of all fish landed in Ireland last year was by non-Irish vessels. The amount of fish landed by Irish boats decreased. In contrast to what is seen by representative organisations as a crisis challenging the future of the fishing industry, Bordi Skiwara, the State Fisheries Board, has launched what it says is a strategy for the future to promote careers in the industry and attract new entrants. It's called the next wave, but hasn't received a positive response from the industry, with more boats being decommissioned and scrapped because of insufficient catching quotas. Fishing organisations say the government must get a better deal from the EU under the Common Fisheries Policy if the industry is to have any future. Another award for a port company has gone to Cork Port Company, which has been named Logistics and Supply Chain Company of the Year by the Irish Exporters Association at its annual Export Industry Awards. And that's the roundup of maritime news around Ireland this month. Anton O'Callaghan reporting. One of Ireland's legendary tall ship sailors has died. Tom Harding, who was bosun on Asgard for many years, and also on the Jeannie Johnston, on its unique voyage to the United States, Canada and Newfoundland. It was a pleasure to know Tom, whose pride in the craft of seamanship was immense. His death has removed a great figure from Ireland's marine sphere. Sustaining the offshore islands is very important, and is the work of the Islands Federation Kogolilona Heron, which held its annual general meeting on Inish Turk. Federation Secretary Rhoda Twombly reports on the discussions at the meeting. Inish Turk, off the coast of Mayo, was a place of immense beauty for the annual meeting. It's full of flowers, sea views, small tidy harbours, and places to swim walk or just enjoy nature. The welcome here to friends and visitors alike is truly special. Housing on islands was one of the major themes of the meeting as the lack of affordable, available housing is a huge block to the offshore island sustainability. Researchers from University College Cork who previously analyzed the housing situation on the West Cork Islands have completed their survey of the housing needs on all of the offshore communities of Galway, Mayo, Donegal, and Cork, where islands are still inhabited. The results are in the report titled Ireland's Offshore Islands Housing Needs Survey by Drs. Connor Cashman and Siobhan O'Sullivan. They were very clear in their conclusions. Island communities cannot be sustained without a specific housing policy that recognizes the particular challenges islands face. Full-time resident islanders showed a clear wish to remain on the islands 
and the survey found a desire by those previously living on the islands to return and reveals a cohort of people wishing to move to the islands for the first time. In all these situations, access to affordable and suitable housing is crucial. The benefits of this research was recognized at the annual meeting, but with the imperative noted that relevant government departments and the four county councils which have island communities must seriously address the housing crisis for the offshore islands. There will be more discussion on the housing survey report when it is formally launched. It must be included in the National Policy Formation on Planning Guidelines, as this will greatly impact the building on the islands. But for now, it's Sloan from the islands. Road trumbling and housing isn't only a problem on the mainland. And the Echo Cork's morning daily newspaper is currently running a series on Wednesdays about women living on offshore islands. Birdwatch Ireland, the voluntary organisation devoted to the conservation and protection of wild birds and their habitats, says that 23 of the 24 breeding seabirds in Ireland are now red or amber listed and of conservation concern. These include kittiwakes and puffins, which are also classed as globally vulnerable. From Birdwatch headquarters at Kilcool in County Wicklow, here's Amy Lewis. The ocean has long been our great provider. Indeed, Irish waters provide food and refuge for a diverse range of species, support thousands of livelihoods through the fishery and tourism industries, absorb carbon from the atmosphere, and even serve as a source of inspiration for the many artists our country is known for. However, if we hope to continue to experience the wonders and rewards of the marine environment, something must change. Together with our Fair Seas Coalition partners, Birdwatch Ireland is calling on the public to get behind our campaign, which calls for strong, ambitious and inclusive marine protected area legislation. Fair Seas is a coalition of Ireland's leading environmental NGOs and environmental networks. While each of the Fair Seas organisations has its own unique environmental focus, we are united in our primary goal and the overarching benefits that achieving this would have for biodiversity, habitats and communities around Ireland. This goal? To ensure that the Irish government meets their commitment to designate 30% of our ocean territories as a marine protected area by 2030, and with that, to ensure that such legislation is strong and fit for purpose. Fair Seas has 10 key asks of Ireland's upcoming MPA bill. Within this list of asks, we are not only calling for mandatory targets committing Ireland to protect 30% of its seas by 2030, but also for 10% of Irish seas to be strictly protected, meaning that no human activity will be permitted. Currently, just 9% of Irish waters are designated as protected areas. However, owing to a lack of management and monitoring at these sites, these designations are little more than words on paper, also known as paper parks. Within the new legislation, we are calling for the development of a robust management framework, which ensures that marine protected areas actually deliver for nature. For an MPA to be effective, it needs to be based on the interest and involvement of all stakeholders in the community. Bearing this in mind, the MPA bill should contain clear timeframes and details for high-quality stakeholder engagement and sustained participation among local, regional and national groups. Having MPAs is vital to the health of our ocean. Ireland's waters are rich in biodiversity and provide refuge for a wide number of species. If we want to see the survival of these species, many of which are experiencing population declines, we need to adequately protect the habitats they live in. Additionally, Designating MPAs can lead to more stable and sustainable fisheries, 
and increased tourism, as well as climate benefits, with oceans being the world's greatest carbon sink. Amy Lewis from Birdwatch Ireland. If you're interested in traditional rowing, the Irish language film Tarak is worth checking out. It's the story of a woman who connects with her roots in Kerry by taking part in traditional rowing races in Nave Oaks. And so we come to the end of the October edition of Maritime Ireland. Until next month, stay in touch on our website at maritimeirelandradioshow.ie with weekly updates about Ireland's marine sector. And you can contact the programme on email tommaxweenymaritimeireland at gmail.com That's tommaxweenymaritimeireland at gmail.com or by text phone 0872 555 197 That's 0872 555 197 And the website again maritimeirelandradioshow.ie Or follow me on Twitter now known as X and you'll also find Maritime Ireland on LinkedIn and Facebook, raising interest all round in the Irish maritime sphere. Sound production on the programme by Justin Marr. With the usual wish of fair sailing, thank you for listening and being part of the maritime community with Maritime Ireland. Maritime Ireland.